Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. After several discussions about digital health and healthcare in the APEC region, we are finishing the exploration in the region with a discussion about healthcare digitalization in Pakistan. Pakistan has 242 million people. It's the fifth largest population in the world. If you look at the website of the U.S. State Department, however, you will see an advice to reconsider traveling to pa- Pakistan. Life expectancy is low. The country attributes only 1.1% of its GDP to healthcare. Yet, as mentioned by the health strategy leader Zahid Ali, The strategy Pakistan took in the fight against COVID was recognized by WHO as exemplary and some things other countries should look at. So what is the state of healthcare digitalization in the country and what can other countries learn from Pakistan? That's the topic of today's discussion. Do listen and check out other episodes about the APEC region as well by going to the link in the show notes or directly to facesofdigitalhealth.com. Now let's dive in the discussion with Zahid Ali, the HIMS Future 50 Health IT Leaders of 2021, a digital health and innovation thought leader and consultant. Zahid, thank you for joining and I look forward to your insights about digital health in Pakistan. Today I did a little bit of a comparison of some of the countries in Asia Pacific, China, India, Singapore, Pakistan, Australia and Malaysia. And I looked at the percentage of GDP they attribute to healthcare, life expectancy, the percentage of the population over 65, etc. And I want you to describe the healthcare in Pakistan and the system the way that you see it. So the data shows that the percentage of GDP for healthcare is quite low, so 3.38% according to the World Bank data from 2019. Life expectancy is uh, relatively low, so uh, 67 years, while, for example, if we look at Australia and Singapore, their numbers are 83, 84 years, which is really high, well above other averages. But yeah, how would you describe the healthcare system in Pakistan? What are your experiences? So basically, if we see the landscape of the population and about the healthcare sector, So Pakistan is the fifth largest country from the population standpoint in the world. And 50% of the people does not have access to healthcare. So what happens? So if they don't have the access to healthcare, so they are using some of uh, traditional ways and means or uh, maybe some quick doctors or nurses are sitting uh, at the village. For them, who are the doctors? Who are everything? And sometimes they do maybe surgeries as well, or maybe they are using some of uh, maybe painkillers or some other stuff so that people feel relieved fast. And ultimately, it has obviously long-term effects on their health. And in Pakistan, about, I would say, it's mostly the government-driven healthcare sector. 
and uh, but there is about something about 65% is government and then 35% is from the private sector. So now private sector is just putting more investments by building the hospitals and especially primary care is also in the process of setting up. So one another thing that's pretty important from Pakistan's standpoint is a lot of people put their money for donations and a lot of organizations are doing charity-based hospitals and healthcare services into rural setting. So that is one of the area that is picking up fast and a lot and lot of investments are coming to Pakistan in this specific area. So it's a mix of things. So obviously it's way behind even in the region. But the good thing, there are bad things, there are good things. The medical education in Pakistan is very much at the top level. And if we see a lot of doctors are just working out of Pakistan. So about maybe 20,000 doctors from the country are working in states alone in U.S. So those people are bringing best of their knowledge, best of their expertise into the country. And it's in, into the process of a transformation. It's so, but there, there are quite a few success stories as well. I'm glad that you mentioned the doctors because I also looked at the number of doctors per 1,000 people and the average measured in 2019 in Pakistan was 1.1, which is low. For example, if we compare it to India, India has even lower average of physicians per 1,000 people, 0.9. But more kind of European numbers would be 2.8, 3.4. Australia has 3.8, for example. Yeah. So how do you see that? And you no, know, this is pre-pandemic numbers and we know what happened to doctors during the pandemic. Either they went to a different industry or they quit or went to work somewhere with better working conditions. Yeah, roughly in Pakistan, we are graduating about 10 doctors or maybe 25,000 doctors per year. And most of them are just getting abroad. Maybe they work, they prefer to work with NHS, they prefer to work with Canada, and they prefer to go to US for their education. And once they go there for further education, then usually what happens? They stay there for a longer time because they find it more systematic, more opportunities are there. So they prefer to stay over there. So this is like a kind of, I would say, a brain drain that's happening over here. So for people for better career moves uh, uh, to the established world. And obviously that is also creating a problem. Then there is another big problem. So that's bigger than this one. Most of the females who are graduating from the medical colleges and we have more females are graduating than the males from the medical colleges. And about <clears throat> there are studies about 87% or maybe something about above 80%. Females are not actually coming to, to the field. They get married. They start looking after the kids and, and they are not uh, active into the system. But on the other side, <clears throat> there are few startups who are working to engage those doctors who are sitting at their homes and uh, still they can use their knowledge, their expertise to provide me medical consultations uh, by using telemedicine platforms. Y you are considered one of the top people in digital health in the world. You're highly recognized by HIMSS. 
you clever presented uh, on the highest level to make the regulations develop the learning certifications so how do you see yourself working for a developing countries and what's your driving force to transform the healthcare sector for Pakistan because if i'm not mistaken you spend the majority of your time in the US right so basically i had been involved with the department of health and human services i was part of their innovation committee I worked with the ONC and with him so I had been putting all the regulatory frameworks especially on onto mobile apps guidelines and also STOH and many other things but obviously that's a pretty much a structured world and if we come back to these developing countries like Pakistan not much of work has been done so it's I would say a green field so the most interesting thing when we see some the places like US or countries like Germany like France or even UK so they have everything pretty structured they have different kind of challenges they have the data they have the systems in place but when we come back to pakistan we don't have the system we don't have the data most of the healthcare work has been done manually and people are not very receptive to transformations actually so it has been a mix of things that we use different techniques to bring them in to digital health few successes many failures but just taking few examples i think now the world is totally changed knowledge is everywhere everyone has the access to the knowledge so knowledge is not an issue the issue is implementation of no- that knowledge to get something impactful so into that area we have done a phenomenal work in pakistan that was to build the systems for the covid so we built those system we call it integrated disease surveillance sometimes we call it uh, disease early warning system so that was a fantastic work that we have done and and i represent those uh, case studies all to different conferences with cleveland clinic uh, with ems uh, even into these conferences in africa so that, uh, that is a quite interesting thing and i think there is no way we can just get away from the medical records or putting together but most interesting thing that i see the young people especially the youth they are doing phenomenal jobs they are picking mm-hmm. up the problems they are trying to solve those problems by using their best knowledge by using the technology so a lot and lot of startups are just coming forward and i see a very healthy picture for the future if we see like these established world especially like us so they have structured things and so if we see over there so physicians are complaining a lot of 74% physicians are complaining about the burnouts because they have to do more work on to putting the data into medical records so over here i think we can innovate few things where we have the liberty to make it easy for the doctor so that they have to put less information they can focus more on to the patient and by using ai or maybe by using some structured algorithms their work can be simplified so that is something i feel coming from us or european background working over here So this is the place where at a very greenfield level where we can do quite a lot of innovations. So those innovations mm-hmm. really if the guinea pig is done over here or the piloting, testing, the model is well tested, then it can be taken to the other countries. So that is something I feel with countries like Pakistan can be done very well. So that is my inspiration to work over here and obviously the challenge is huge and i always feel challenge is always an opportunity to work with something in essence thank god there's not too much digitalization quite yet and let's hope that mistakes from the west won't 
happen here. I want to ask you a little bit more about that COVID program that you mentioned. So it's obviously we have more than enough of discussions about COVID. We wish that it went away already. But when it comes to digital projects, I wonder how exactly that project looked like. Because in Pakistan, 77% of people do have access to mobile phones, but not necessarily smartphones. So access to healthcare and medicine relies on conventional face-to-face -face interactions. And there's work in telemedicine that includes regular SMS, ringtone messages are used for uh, awareness and consultations. Maybe what do you see as digital health in the first place? And how do you see that just the level of technological availability could impact innovations? We're not talking about VR or yeah. quantum computing. We're talking about old technology. Yeah, obviously, while considering Pakistan, it was a different term, a kind of different opportunity. A healthcare system was already like in a very lowest level. And so doctor to patient ratio and availability of doctors and trained manpower had always been an issue over here. We thought that we need to have a different mechanism or different methodology where we can come up with something that is very fast, that is robust. And how we can just integrate all those available capacities through which we can provide access to care that is affordable, that is equitable, and and we can serve the la large population as well. So we identified few areas and what we did, we invited all the players from the private space, from the diaspora space. Look, we wanted to do this, guide us how we should do that and bring something if you have it. So a lot of platforms who were doing telemedicine, they brought their platforms. We put them under the government umbrella and we started enrolling patients onto that platforms and started providing the consultations. So that was a huge success. And on top of that, we built a mechanism where we were collecting all the data from different labs, different centers. And based upon data, we were just putting what are the different levels in different cities, how much supply chain is required, what kind of accessories are required, and how we can mobilize those kind of workforce and equipment and even PPEs, those areas. So we used a couple of AI-based algorithms and even we used data that was mostly collected manually and even through automation. We combined that data enough that we can drive those insightfuls and those insightful can be used to make the right decisions. And the good thing, we use it very effectively. And Pakistan was considered in, in three areas in top five responses in the world. Especially WHO has recognized it, World Economic Forum has recognized it, and even World Bank has recognized the efforts of the country. And the WHO specifically mentioned that world should learn from Pakistan about the initiative they have taken about this telemedicine. So mm -hmm. we took it into three phases. First was to bring a different private and players, provide the services. So it was more like an integrated care delivery model. So if you have something, bring it to us. So we, we would you we would best utilize it for the public good. If you have the doctors, somebody a doctor is sitting in U.S. and they want to do, give their time for the patients, so we brought them onto the platform. 
So we built another platform over here that was called means friends of the country. So in that we have enrolled maybe about more than 5,000 doctors who were sitting out of country and they were providing the help to the people from the country. And so that was something pretty phenomenal. And then we took it to next level where we built a single digital front door and integrated all the available capacities in the public, in the private, in the diaspora through this single digital front door. In the time, I would say it was quite an innovative thought process. And But actually there was no innovation. It was just preparing a model where we can leverage all the resources available in the country and out of the country who can provide the services. What we did uniquely was to build a complete mechanism for awareness of the people. So we used uh, mobile ringtones. So everybody who had the mobile, when he calls somebody, so there is a ringtone. So we conveyed the messages to large population by using those ringtones. And obviously that had, there, there were studies by Gallup and UNDP that shows in different categories about 35% to 71% people had who listened those messages, they started complying to it as well. So wearing masks with the people who cannot even afford. So that was quite a, a difficult task. And we put telcos for the delivery of those uh, telemedicine and other services because they have the wide range of connectivity in the country rather than building the infrastructure that we cannot do in the time that was available. So we leveraged the telco's network to provide those services, awareness campaigns, and even the teleconsultations to the people. So what's next to Pakistan based on this experience? You mentioned it as the exemplary case of how a really difficult situation could be addressed with the help of technologies. So I wonder... What was the situation before? Was technology ever leveraged in this manner or was this really a breakthrough situation? And now a lot of new ideas are coming out in the ways that this could be leveraged. Yeah, the first thing like with these uh, small testing ground that we prepared over here. So now the realization is there that our digital transformation is required in different segments. And most needed segment is the healthcare segment. So what we did, we made a complete digital transformation plan for the capital city. And to integrate all these different services, prepare a hybrid model where we can put the call center, where we can have a command and control center, where we can integrate the ambulances available, where we can track all the beds available in the in, in the capital and then if the patient is moving then we can give them a real-time availability like if you had a, a patient with the heart attack so where is the capacity available where you should take that patient so that is a kind of transformation plan that we made and it's it's a pleasure that we got the funding for that project it's a massive funding and now its rollout is happening over here but on the other side definitely private sector is just putting quite a lot of efforts and they already have those EMRs or HIS systems that they are using and now they are also upscaling those available EMRs by putting home hospice and home services and also 
engaging their patients by using WhatsApp and even the telemedicine. So a lot of things are happening and especially startups are doing a very good job in that. A couple of startups are doing phenomenal work onto AI. There are startups who are building AI-based platforms for primary healthcare means uh, uh, where the uh, resource setting is low and you have the challenge that you cannot uh, have the trained workforce to be employed into those rural or uh, suburban settings. So if you hire a doctor, hire a nurse, and uh, maybe a very next day or very next day, they have to start the work. So now the technology is taking a big role to help them through a structured way by putting AI on top of that so that like a care that can be given maybe in a Cleveland clinic, the same level of care can be given in, in a rural setting over there. So that is one of the models that we have tested it and with a great success. We engaged about 25 doctors from US, from Canada, from UK and Pakistan who build, who worked with us for more than a year to make all those structured protocols the pathways and then we transformed those pathways with the help of technology into a process so means if a patient is coming to a clinic with one or two temperature so from one or two temperature till the diagnosis everything is structured so if there is a a like red alert maybe a patient is meningitis so system guides them look you cannot see this patient just refer it to the other place So he had all the options that where this patient can be referred. So that makes like all the decision making help is done by the system. So then the doctor, then the nurse sitting on top of that, they can make the relevant decision. And then what we are doing, the next step is we are doing the QA, like auditing of all those uh, protocols. So had the doctor followed the protocol right, if it is he had not followed the right, so what are the reasons? Are those valid reasons or does we need to guide the doctor? Look, don't do this. This mm-hmm. is not the right way. So those are the things that are happening and, and we have done it with a great success. To which extent do you see that these things could be expanded to other countries as well? I'm really curious to see how much of this innovation could potentially be moved to other developing countries. So if we see a lot of developing countries, especially African countries, if we see South Africa, so for the large population, they had only 5,000 doctors and just some of a regulatory mechanism. So nobody out of South Africa can practice over there. Anyways, they had put their regulation. I think they need to change those regulations, provide healthcare services. And so for the countries like Africa, they cannot afford to put big costs to do the digital transformation in healthcare sector. So the learnings that we have done in Pakistan, the same can be used over there. And not only there, the same learning can also be used in some areas, in even in established world. I had been doing some stuff with a couple of like top-notch institutions in U.S., especially I'm attending some of the sessions with the White House. And uh, so they are putting a big money to do disease early warning system. So I, I wrote them few recommendations and the things are moving forward on it. But this COVID was not a problem of one country. It was a problem of all, the, all over the world. So in future, we can see uh, that uh, there would be more problems that are coming up and that those problems may be more uh, diverse uh, than the COVID or maybe more worst uh, than the COVID. So the world, now the world needs to be prepared for those. 
and uh, and I think the work which which the different countries has done, they must collaborate with each other. They must share the their knowledge, their learnings, and and help the other countries so that they can prepare their systems based upon those uh, learnings, and they can localize those learnings into their practices. And this is the way we can develop a better world for the future. Speaking of learnings, and we talked about other countries as well, especially how this could be transferred to the whole continent, maybe. You recently took part in a panel about AI and digital transformation in the UAE and at the Africa Health Exxon in Cairo, Egypt. What were your impressions of the event? What was the discussion like compared to what in the US where you're mostly present? How would you describe the digital health landscape and discussions in this region? Yeah. So if we see the landscape of healthcare sector in Middle East, so that is, I would say, at par with the U.S. So they are no, no way behind the U.S. And I would say they, they in, in some areas, they are much better than U.S., especially about health exchange. They, are much, they have done the interoperability within their healthcare system, and that is predominantly done to a maximum level for the data. Now they are putting the interoperability onto imaging level. That is something that is that even in U.S. has not been done early. But from these case studies, a lot of lessons could be learned. But in healthcare, now we have the challenge with the cost everywhere in the world. So what are the mechanisms that we can adopt in these countries where the systems are more mature? I strongly advocate about value-based healthcare. So there is a value-based healthcare. Then a lot of people don't talk about it. Then there is a value-based testing and purchasing as well. A couple of measures has been taken by Singapore and, and there are studies where they have saved about 30% cost of drugs for cancer drugs, for hypertensive drugs. So I usually give a, an example. If we take an example of US, about 140 million people have the problem of sleeping disorder. And out of that 140, about 50%, 70 million have the chronic sleep issues. And for one patient, the cost of drugs is about, for a month, is about $59. So with the U.S., with the very established world where the GDP is quite high, only 10% people can afford that, those medications. What about those 90% people? So what are the solutions uh, that we can imply other than drugs? So mobile apps can do really a good job. And if we have the right app that can help the people who are suffering with the sleep illness, so we can save the cost of, of the drugs. And if we see just the numbers, so it cost about the direct cost is about $8 billion to U.S. economy for the medication. So if we see the indirect cost, that entails to about $65 billion to, to U.S. economy. So I think these kind of small innovation can really help to save maybe 60-70% of those kind of costs. So the future belongs to wellness. It would not be any more about treating the sick people. So we have to stop people getting sick actually. So how we do that, I think we have to prepare those wellness mechanisms for the people so that they stay healthy, they eat healthy, they drink healthy and that they have the healthy routines. So if they do all that stuff, I think we can really reduce the disease burden. Absolutely. Technology can definitely yeah. play a part there. Actually, in one of the upcoming 
episodes, I spoke with a Brazilian entrepreneur who's working on a sleep app, a DTX, to improve individual's health based on better sleeping patterns. One thing that's interesting about Pakistan is that in Pakistan, the majority of people speak English. So I wonder, what does that mean in terms of the interest of companies from abroad to enter the market? Because, for example, if we look at the recommendations from the U.S. State Department for travel, it's currently considered that people should reconsider traveling to Pakistan. So there's always this relation between what the potential of the market is to just other factors that will impact whether or not you are going to enter the market. Uh, so uh, just uh, talking about this, 64% is youth. They are very good at speaking English. And Pakistan is number third in uh, free dancing world. So a lot of companies, a lot of people I meet, they have their back offices in Pakistan. So uh, they had the cheap resources over here. And now it's more like a digital, maybe a remote world. Obviously, you need to travel to the countries, but it's in many cases, it's not essentially required. You can uh, arrange all those different kind of stuff remotely as well. So I think that can be one of the solution and hopefully the way the things are happening, obviously Pakistan is placed into a geography where uh, into the surroundings we have seen a long impacts of the war. So those impacts has came to to the country as well that has impacted at large. So now the things are settling down, I, I think with all those and especially the young people who, who are coming up, who are taking the leads, it would be a different country altogether. And it would be really coming up as a, as an economic leader and especially a lot of knowledge process outsourcing and research process outsourcing would be done to the Pakistan. And even to the India, it's already happening. But more and more work would be coming to these countries because over here, the population size is huge. You can test your things with a large position, with a large volume, with a very fractional cost. And... Uh, and it's not very stingy with the regulations. So I think those kind of opportunities are really developing. And especially hiring of the doctors or maybe medical staff from Pakistan. So that is a couple of areas that can get attention. Especially if we see a lot of multinational companies are working over here. And they had been here maybe for the last 40 years. And so they are making a good profit. So I think with the size of Papu, there are risks and those risks has its own cost. It's a great ending thought for the discussion about Pakistan. But still, if in case you want to add anything, what would you recommend developing countries in terms of adoption of digital health and just going towards the digital health transformation? Yeah. So developing countries should not think of a big things in the beginning. They should start doing things. Even if it is small, they should do it while they are doing. So they would have all the learnings, how to improve those things. And once they have done, they have taken the baby steps. I think a lot of experts from the world can help them to take the transformation to the next steps. But important is to take the first steps and try to build an ecosystem where they can connect all these different uh, stakeholders involved into care delivery, maybe under one platform. It's not necessarily, it has to be under the government. 
it can be done even in the private. So I think with these countries, now the democratization of the health is happening. So developing countries should think of doing the same. So in every country, I think tens of telemedicine setups or startups are coming and, the, and tens of medicine delivery startups are coming and they are making huge impacts. So those kind of things should be encouraged and those things should be made part of the central systems. And especially innovation should be placed where the problems are happening. So these are my my very low level advices to the people that they should start doing things. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast because it really, really helps other listeners interested in digital health find the show as well. Stay tuned.